Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda to Dorkin Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure Panel, and a choice of petrol, diesel, or fully electric. The new Opal Mocha is less normal, more Mocha. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. Welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We go straight, we get down straight to business this afternoon. And let me tell you, you know that we've been talking here from time to time about the cost of car hire in this country, how it's absolutely extraordinary the way the rates have risen. Well, it's not just in Ireland, as we're going to hear now from Kelly Fincham. Hello, Kelly. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. Kelly from Betty's Town, now lecturer at NUIG and one-time correspondent of ours in New York City. Welcome back to the show. Well, 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 this is just not an Irish problem. Tell us your wee story. You had a bereavement, sadly, in the family. Yeah, my my dad's brother died over in a place called Mansfield in England. It's way over uh, towards the East Coast. Mm. So... Because it's England, they give you a bit of time at the funeral. So we went to book um, a flight um, and car hire. And the flight was fine. The flight was Ryanair. It wasn't crazy expensive. It was something like 80 euro each round trip. But the car hire for a Ford car or a, like a Toyota Starlet type car, like the very, very smallest you can get, was £250 sterling a day. And they offered us a rate of £350 sterling for 36 hours because that's all we needed it for. I thought you'd be driving a Ferrari for that money. You'd want to be really, wouldn't you? And then with the cost of petrol as well. Like, um, yeah, so we had to do kind of like a a big rethink on that because um, it was working out at well over, I think just over €600 for two days. My oh yeah. That is just extortionate, and and you know extortion uh, because um, we we give out about this country, but it just shows you it's just not here. So you uh, obviously had to reconsider. What did you do? Well, I've signed up with the Welsh Tourist Board <laughs> because <laughs> what we did, um, got on to had a look at the ferries. I really hadn't considered the ferry as an option because Mansfield is way over. If you look at the map, mm. it's like way over the far side of England. Um, but then a little bit of Google mapping and Google Maps said it could have us from Drogheda to Mansfield in six and a half hours with the ferry. So we gave it a lash and headed off on the ferry. Um, it was the eight o'clock sailing out of Dublin. And we got into Mansfield, I think it was 3.30 in the afternoon with an hour's stop in Wales. And the drive takes you in through the north coast of Wales. It's absolutely stunning. And you have Snowdon, sorry, Snowdon on your right. Mm. So it's actually a nice trip, you know, yes. and as luck would have it, the day we flew out was one of the first um, bad days at the airport. It was the day that Dara O'Brien was tweeting away merrily yes. and we would have been caught in that fiasco and we probably would have had a more stressful experience. So I recommend the ferry now well over flying, even, even if it looks like it's a long journey. It's no stress. Absolutely no stress. Mm. So the day you were due to go, the airport was in chaos. You would have been caught up in that maelstrom. God knows what would have happened. So up you drive to Dunleary, Hollyhead. That was the route, yeah? Uh, no, it's, no? Uh, it's East Wall. Oh, sorry. East, East Wall is right. East Wall into Hollyhead in North Wales. 
Into Anglesey, yeah. off the boat, yeah. yeah. Hop over the little island bridge and away over. It was really fun. <laughs> and when you sit back afterwards, right, you hadn't the stress of the airport, the worry, will the flight, you know, will we get through security, all that type of thing, the flight, etc. When you consider all of that and then you also look at the costs involved, what do you reckon you saved? Uh, well, we, we filled the tank. It cost us €70 Euro to get from Drogheda to Mansfield and back. Mm. Um, and it was 320 for the airfare. Oh, sorry, not the airfare, the ferry. Yes. And what the ferries are doing now, which I didn't know until I went to book, was if you're only doing a short stay, you know, like I think it's under seven or ten days, there's a discount on it. So, I mean, 320 euro, two people, round trip with the car, and that included a seat in the, I don't know, it's like the... Um, <laughs> the it's not luxury, but it's like yeah. a big open cabin yes. um, that's just, it's a bit quieter, like mm. a quiet car on a train. Mm. So uh, if you had taken uh, the option of the car hire, 350 a day and a half, uh, 500 if you went the 250 the two days, plus your airfares on top of that, you save substantially as well. Oh yeah, we, we, we worked it out, it was close to 400 euros that we saved. But the big thing that you save is instead of leaving here at eight in the morning to go and make an 11 o'clock plane in Dublin Airport and all the associated aggravation, we just drove to um, Eastwall mm. and we sat waiting to go on um, the ferry drinking cups of tea and just waiting for the guy to wave us on. It's not, it is not the 1970s ferry experience. It's yes. really lovely. So it's really opened a new vista for you in terms of travel when you saw the way this operated and how smooth it was, etc. Oh, very much so. Um, and like, because I wasn't in the usual dash to try and get down to London, you know, you, you're sort of looking um, at Wales and going, this is a very nice place to visit. Mm. So we stopped at a place called Conway, I think. It's spelled C-O-N-W-Y. Mm. And it's a beautiful town. It looks very much like Drogheda. It's very hilly. It's got a nice, um, it's got some sort of medieval turrety things. But you know what they notice as well in, in the town of Conway in Wales? The parking for the first hour is free. And I remember thinking, that is super smart because it doesn't deter the likes of me from coming into the town. Because mm. I only want to go in to stop to get some lunch or something. Yes. And I thought, wouldn't that be great if we did something similar? Mm. See, we can learn. And and when we travel, we learn and we look at other people and other ways and, and it brings it home to you. Uh, and I bet you it was cleaner as well. Uh, might have been. Yes, it might have mm, been. Mm. No doubt about that. So the ferry is back on Kelly Fincham's radar. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not what it was. Um, and I, my next trip, I'd like to be really brave and go down south um Take the Rosslair Bilbao route when that new ferry comes in. Yes. So, and that is another option. The France route is there. The UK is there. There are many routes from Ireland, and that has certainly been ramped up since Bre- since Brexit. Certainly, but trade, but also, of course, they'll be looking at this now and think, "Oh well, look, passenger numbers as well. We can we can attract them." So, over four hundred euros saved. Convenience, no worries. There in time. Lovely trip. Everything yeah. to recommend it. There you go. Win win all round for Kelly. Very much so, apart from the reason we were going there. In the yes, of course, of course, of course, of uh, course. But look, you, you got there and uh, all went well for you. While you're with me, um, I, I, you know that when you go into a restaurant, you can sometimes get two for one, maybe three for one. Oh no, anyway, what are you going to ask? Uh, well, uh, well, I'm going to ask you this because I do know you are based in Galway now and you've been over there. Accommodation, has it really been the nightmare that we're hearing to get somewhere to stay? Oh, Jerry, um, it's funny you should say that because people are often asking me from New York. People want to come home to Ireland um, and they've got kids. And so a lot of people have been, we chat on a Facebook page. My number one piece of advice to anyone who wants to move home is do not do it unless you already own or rent a place here. Because it is an absolute nightmare out there. Um, I, I've, it's not just, it's everybody is being affected by it. Mm. And it's not, it's not even like that everything is expensive. It is, there is, there is no supply. And one of the things that drives me insane about where we ended up renting in Galway is that um, there are eight units there. Four of them are Airbnb. 
I'm like, well, there you go. There's half our problem right there. We have lots of other problems for sure, but a, a lot of um, the market in towns that attract a lot of tourists or cities, and as Galway's case, people are renting them out as Airbnbs. So it diminishes the supply for sure that's available to people who want to put down some roots there, who are working there. Have you been able yeah. to find anywhere? You're, you're actually in the process, are you, at move, moving at the moment? Well, no, it's it's my mum's house. I'm, oh, I see. I'm, um, I see. Yeah. I see. But, to, but what, yeah, what about over over there? Are, are you renting there at the moment? Oh, I'll have to rent. I, I cannot. I mean, and here's the, the joke. Well, it's not a joke because it's not all that funny. I'm in my mid-50s. I've got a very senior role um, at a really good university. I cannot afford to buy. I, it is hell on wheels out there for people with fewer resources. It's unbelievable. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that we would sell a house in New York and come home and not be able to buy anything in Ireland. Isn't yeah. that just the nub of the issue, that you are at a stage of your life and a position which you are ready to put down roots where you are going to live and work now uh, for the immediate and perhaps long-term future. And and you can't. You just cannot secure a place. If you go in, just I, I take it you've been trying to and trying your best and you go after somewhere. Is it like the, um, the Tiger years here that it just goes up, up, up? It's like the Hunger Games out there. Um, somebody advised me in Galway. They said that... Um, you need to set up an alert on Daft and the minute something comes up, you know, you have to pounce on it. And I'm like, who has time for that? And then if you look at a property, uh, one of the best ways to depress yourself is to look at a property on Daft and see how many views it's had since it's gone on online. You know, and you'd be looking at about 1,500 in a day for a rental. It is bonkers. Mm. And I'm sorry, I don't understand that there's a half-finished block of apartments out in Bettystown that haven't been touched in well over 10 years. And people are telling me that there's, you know, there's no way to fix this. I think there is, but I just don't think it suits the people who are making money out of it at the moment. So it's the same on our doorsteps here and close to where you come from. You're just uh, mentioning there as well. So rental, uh, there's just a, a bedlam to get a rental place and no prospect. No prospect of you buying anywhere in the West. No. Absolutely not a chance. 500,000 for a shoebox. Um, and you know the one thing, Jerry, that, that living over there has made me realise, we take a lot of what we have over here for granted and we actually have a lot more to offer. Um, you would need to really get out of Galway City to find anything like the beaches at um, Clarehead or Termin Fecken or Bettystown. Mm. Um, the river, we've got far more accessibility to it here on the Boyne. Um, we have a lot going for ourselves. Nearer the church, the further from God. You know the saying yourself, uh, when you uh, are uh, where you are, you don't. It, it's sometimes uh, under the radar and you don't spot it. And it's it, it's nice of you to say that. Final thing, it's a three in one. Uh, you mentioned you left New York. We spoke to you many times. Are you despairing of your former home, uh, New York City and the country as a whole, when we see what's happening all over? Well, no, I mean, this was why I was so depressed that morning that I spoke to you after the election in New York. You know, the writing was on the wall a long time ago. Mm. People chose not to read it. So the, the legacy of someone who was there continues and rolls on and he may even return again. And you have polarisation, Republican, Democrat, the abortion, the gun laws, the race Oh, my God, Ke- uh, Kelly. Um, I was talking to John Shanahan on the 4th on, on Monday and he was trying to be hopeful, but struggling, Kelly. Um, <laughs> um, uh, well, what do you want me to say? Yes, it's a struggle. Um, mm. Yeah, but this has been going on for a, for a long, long time in the US. And I don't know. I mean, I knew I knew lovely Irish people in New York who voted for Trump because they didn't like Hillary. And I would be blue in the face saying, OK, but what about policies? You know, mm. you don't necessarily have to like the person who's running, but which policies do you support? Yeah. And nobody really wants to engage with anything that much. They just want to like someone and then vote for them. Social media is a lot to answer for, like, yeah, like somebody. Uh, dig a bit deeper, please. That's that's what needs to happen. Anyway, thank you so much. I doorstepped you on two there that I wasn't supposed to. But <laughs> <Yay>! I... <laughs>
<laughs> oh, you're so good. And, and thanks so much for telling us the story on the rental and uh, acknowledging the uh, convenience of the ferry and, and more besides. Uh, good luck with what you're at there and for the future in Galway. I hope you eventually find a place that you love. Take care, Kelly. Thanks, Terry. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 That's Kelly Fincham there. Angela has been on to say, we use the ferry all the time, Jerry, and we bring our car all over Europe as well. It is so convenient, as Kelly says. Thank you indeed for that message. And, you know, the ferry, the ferries have changed hugely, of course. I remember going them when, my God almighty, you'd have to take the seasick tablets for sure. But I've been on the more modern ferries, and to be honest with you, they're a different kettle of fish. Now, when there's a storm at the sea, it's a different story altogether we all know that but uh, you miss all the bedlam at the airport it'll have to settle down sometime won't it when they get the uh, the numbers of staff in that they need but at the minute it's not great yes Jerry says a listener I couldn't agree more the ferry is pure heaven catch the bus up to the boat and away we go no worries as simple as that there you go so there are ferry fans uh, out there for sure and uh, they're very happy at this time that they're not encountering the difficulties with flying and hiring cars as we heard from Kelly Fincham at the top of the show now I'm delighted to say hello and welcome back uh, to the show to one of our regulars yes Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland is with me hello Niall Hello, thanks for having me back. Not at all. You're very welcome to the show. First off, I have a personal issue I want to ask you about. You know my starlings I was telling you about before that nest in the uh, fascia of the house and I love them and they rear their clutches. Uh, Two things, Niall. How do they manage to get the youngsters out of that? They're high up, down onto the ground. You know, you'll often see them on the ground. Is there a wallop when they come out of the nest? Well, normally when they leave the nest, they've already been practicing their flying a little bit. They've been flapping their wings around, even if they haven't realized the reason they've been doing it. But it's been to strengthen their flight muscles. So that instinct kicks in you know, a few days before they leave the nest. So what will happen is they'll get the, they'll scrabble their way to the, hole, to the hole where the nest is. They'll start to fall out. They'll realize they have to flap their wings. And even if it's not a particularly graceful maiden voyage, <laughs> uh, they will at least be able to land on the ground safely. And then they pick up flying pretty quickly after that. Uh, that's good to know. And the other thing is, Niall, they're gone now. They're not round the place at all. And I've seen this other years. They have one clutch, they go, and they don't really come back again. Where are they now? Well, what they're doing at the moment, now that uh, the nesting season is, has ended for most of our starlings, they keep a low profile for a few weeks because this is the time when they take to molt their feathers. Uh, so mum and dad, starling, they've had a pretty rough ride of it over the last couple of months. Um, they've been run ragged, quite literally, looking after the chicks. Their feathers are tatty. So what happens is that starlings and most other birds indeed, this is the time of year when they start to replace their feathers. So feathers start to fall out, new ones grow. This requires a lot of energy when the birds are doing it. And also they feel quite vulnerable. They're not quite as well insulated their flight, powers of flight aren't perhaps quite as good as they normally would be. They're they're still perfectly able to fly, but they're not as agile as they would be. So they keep a low profile until the new feathers have grown in. That takes a few weeks. And then in the autumn, we kind of see them becoming more to the fore again. And and then in the the autumn time too, we get our our population of of starlings here is supplemented by lots more migrant starlings that come to us from Northern Europe, particularly from the Baltic Sea region. And they form these big flocks in the winter that make these wonderful murmurations that uh, that are so popular. So you'll be seeing them again soon, I've no doubt. Ah, good. That's good to know. Um, in, in general terms, our commoner garden b- birds, which you and I talk about in the context of the garden survey and other issues as well, is it just one clutch a year for most of them? Is that it? Oh, it very much depends on the species. So um, for birds like blue tits and great tits and coal tits, it, it's very much strictly just one clutch. That's all they have. Uh, for birds like robins, blackbirds, song thrushes, if the conditions are right, they'll go on and have two clutches quite regularly. So blackbirds and robins particularly, they're well known for that. Some birds like swallows, um, if the weather is right and there's enough food, they'll have three or even in exceptional years, four clutches. So it very much depends on the species. And Niall, uh, w- will they use the same nest? It again depends on the species. Uh, so uh, many species, many birds will. So starlings are a good example of that. If they found a, a place where there was secure nesting uh, and it worked for them, there's every chance they'll return the following year to the same place. Whereas a lot of other birds, like like blackbirds, uh, robins, usually their nests have, have fallen apart over the course of the winter. They're they're not in good state anymore. So very often they'll build a new nest. But it kind of depends on on how how the, how the nest has fared through the winter. Let's uh, stay with nesting for a moment before we turn to hedgerows, which I want to talk to you about. Uh, You have a project going on in Birdwatch at the moment, Limerick and Louth involved, and you're looking for swift nesting sites. Where do they nest? What are you looking for from us here in the Wee County? 
So the swift is a wonderful migrant bird that comes to us each uh, each year. It's one of the last migrants to arrive in Ireland. They usually arrive in late April or even into May, and they stay with us for a short time. They only stay with us until August. So we've only got a month or so to enjoy them being around us. They're um, they're often confused with swallows, but they're about twice the size. Although I, I um, accept that's hard to judge when they're in flight high in the sky. But unlike swallows, which are white below with red faces and dark above, swifts are all dark. They look like black, um, all black birds with big, long, swept back. Wings. They almost look like sickles flying through the sky, and you never see them land. Unlike swallows and most other migrant birds, which you'll see perched on wires or on the ground, even swifts will never do that. They uh, they stay in the sky. They fly the whole time. The only time they ever land, quite literally, is when they nest. And where they nest, it's usually high up in a building. So sometimes in church steeples or um, between gaps in brickwork in, in high high rise buildings, and um, sometimes old ruined buildings as well, where there's lots of gaps there, or indeed in artificial nest boxes and even swift bricks, which are installed in certain buildings but up high. We don't really know what they did before we human beings came on the scene because um, where they nested then, probably in caves or maybe even in trees, uh, in holes in trees. But nowadays, all, all of the Swifts, 100% of them here in Ireland, they nest in human buildings. So that's where they, what they do. So yeah, they're, they're with us at the moment and they're a bird we're concerned about. Their population has been declining not just here in Ireland, but all across Europe and Asia as well, where they also occur. And they're absent from from quite a few towns for, which are once strongholds for them. They're, they're really urban birds. You find them particularly in towns and in cities. So um, um, we've been monitoring them across the country, but particularly at the moment, yes, particularly in counties Louth and Limerick, we're asking for people to submit records to us so that we can track where these colonies are. And that's the first step, of course, and then assessing them and then hopefully protecting them. Ah, oh, good. So if you know where Swifts are, you've had a good description there from Niall. Tall buildings, church steeples, places like that. Do get on to Birdwatch Ireland and let them know. This is very, very important information. And more important information, uh, important information, Niall, is the whole issue of hedgerows. And this yes. is a real concern to you folk. It is. So we, we've spoken before on he- about hedgerows on the programme and people know that, you know, hopefully how important they are for wildlife. In Ireland, we have a very low level of tree cover and we have uh, we, we have amongst the lowest amount of trees in all of the European Union. To give an example of that, um, I, I, just in the last week, a group of birdwatchers from the Czech Republic have come here to Ireland to watch birds and helping them to, to tell them where they should go and what they should see. And the comments on them are all the same. They're like, Ireland's lovely, we've seen great wildlife, but how come you guys don't have any trees? We really, we're kind of used to the situation here, we have so few trees. What takes the place of those trees, in a sense, in Ireland are our hedgerows. We have an extensive hedgerow network and that's the last place where a lot of farmland birds and traditional woodland species can survive. So um, at the moment, we're during the, we're in the prohibited period for cutting of hedgerows. From the 1st of March to the 31st of August, it's against the law under the Wildlife Act to cut hedgerows and that's for, that's a European Union law to protect nesting birds. And we've spoken about that before. But particularly at the moment, Borough Ireland is also now very concerned about the removal of hedgerows on farmland outside of the nesting season because we're taking issue with the Department of Agriculture over the way that they're implementing certain measures under the CAP, the Common Agricultural Policy um, Scheme. Uh, At the moment, the Department of Agriculture permits the removal of up to 500 metres of hedgerows on any farm in Ireland, so long as it's outside the breeding season for birds, provided that before that happens, the same and equivalent length of hedgerow is planted elsewhere. Uh, And that might seem reasonable on the face of it. You might think, um, well, okay, hedgerow's been taken out, but it's been replaced by other hedgerow, um, so there's no net loss of habitat. Unfortunately, that's not the case because they're not equivalent. Uh, a nice mature hedgerow made up of, that's been there maybe for, for decades, even hundreds of years, made up of a mix of lots of different species and diversity in there and they've grown up a, a big way. There's a, that's in no way equivalent to planting the same length of, of saplings that will take years to mature. And in many cases, the same mix of species won't be present. Often it's just one or two species like whitethorn and blackthorn are, pla- are planted to replace what was a much more diverse hedge. So we take issue with this and particularly um, uh, it seems to fly in the face of European Union rules. Um, the, under under the cap regulation that governs all of this, uh, there's no provision uh, allowing uh, farmers or allowing a government to permit farmers to remove hedges provided they replant them elsewhere. It says that features like this need to be retained. And of course, in Birdwatch Ireland, we're very vocal about the fact that farmers deserve proper incentives and, and proper yes. compensation for, for the, what they give for land. We're not saying that farmers should do this for free. We're saying that proper cap funding should be made, made available for farmers so that they can support as much biodiversity on their farms as possible. Um, but we're taking issue with this and, and the European Commission have confirmed that our interpretation of this law is of this regulation is correct and um, what the department of agriculture is doing at the moment isn't 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 proper and we're concerned about this because you're removing you know, mature hedgerows support a lot of biodiversity with essentially saplings that will take years to mature and may never reach the same potential 
I just look at some of these, what I would call prairies, uh, that mm. once were, you know, uh, fields with, with those lovely hedgerows and stone walls and things like that. And I know people want to make progress as well, but at the expense of what now? Like, like you're talking about some really endangered species even being in greater danger because of this. Oh, yes, absolutely. So uh, a bird called the yellowhammer, for example, that's a, a lovely um, mm. sparrow-sized bird, bright yellow, beautiful song. A bird that traditionally would have been widespread all across Ireland. They're quite few and far between now. I'm fortunate that where I live in, in North County Wicklow, there's a population of them quite close to me. But for a lot of people across the country, it's not a bird that they see anymore. And there's a good population in Louth, as it happens in certain areas, but again, and also in Meath, but the population hasn't, um, it's still not nowhere near the level it used to be. And west of the Shannon, the species is, is virtually gone from most areas. Um, other birds as well, um, Throughout, throughout the countryside. So you're talking about birds like, like meadow pipits and skylarks that would use those hedges for shelter and for food. So many birds um, as well that don't necessarily even nest in hedges, but they'd use them for food or use them as conduits to get to get uh, back and forth with their chicks. Um, sparrows do that, for example. Um, so ma- many, many species depend on hedgerows. And it's something that, that doesn't get the proper respect, I think, that it deserves here in Ireland. And we would love to see farming farming organisations and, and lobby groups and, and, and members groups being more vocal. We think that the farmers, and that there's a great many of them out there, who want to do the right thing by biodiversity, they're not being properly supported. There aren't enough people pushing for them to get the proper funding through the common agricultural policy, through other government funds. And we're not asking for extra money here. We're asking for the money to be fairly distributed. The farmers and landowners are doing the right things by biodiversity. They're doing the right things by you and me. They're benefiting our lives and the lives of our children and grandchildren. They're benefiting the future. We need to invest in that as a nation. That's a proper use of these funds. Europe, the European Union makes that money available, but it's not used in the correct way, in our opinion. So that's, we think that's very, very important. And I... I I'm always, you know, mindful that a lot of people seem to think that it's it's something like conservationists and farmers are always at loggerheads. Not in the slightest. We we work with a great many farmers in Bordeaux Ireland. In fact, Bordeaux Ireland we're farmers ourselves on our nature reserves. Many of those are operated as as actual farms, and we work very closely with many farmers and landowners who tell us the same thing. They want to do more for biodiversity and for wildlife. But if they do that, in many cases, they take the hit themselves. They have to decide to make a loss or to to invest in it themselves because they're not getting the proper supports that are supposed to be there under the common agricultural policy from the state and the Department of Agriculture, and they're not getting support from the farmers groups too, who should be lobbying for all of their members. These are members of theirs too who want to get support and deserve it. Mm, absolutely. So uh, singing off the one hymn sheet, so many people. But it is important if we lose these uh, species, when they're gone, they're gone. You know that famous saying from advertising, Nile. Oh, co- completely right. And the thing is, if you, you have to think where we are in the world. We are situated on an island off the coast of Europe. We are the edge of Europe. And when we see species contracting their ranges, because agricultural problems, you know, it's not just a problem here in Ireland, it's a problem all across Europe. When we start to see these species contracting, Ireland is the first place that loses them and the last place they'll be able to get back to. There's so many barriers to prevent them. And as I said earlier, because we lack so much by way of tree cover in this country, our, our tree level, our level of tree cover in Ireland is quite frankly pathetic. Um, the hedgerows have to, in Ireland, take on a greater importance than they do in pretty much any other European country. So they're vitally important that we, that we, you know, to our ecosystem, to our well-being, and to the future of farming as well. Because if farming is going to be sustainable and the farming is going to be able to continue in generations to come, we have to look at what we're doing with our land, how intensively it's being managed, and how sustainable that really is in the long term. Yes, plant a tree. That's another message from us today. It's a really good thing to do and you're helping uh, big time. Do you ever feel you're just under attack, Niall? Because uh, latest is on the stubble, you know, when, when the crops are harvested and the stubble is left in the ground. And now it appears there's another regulation that, uh, you know, farmers have been asked to lift stubble and not leave it in the ground. And, and you know, more than most, stubble provides much needed food in tough times of uh, the year. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a vital habitat for so many beleaguered creatures. So many of the farmland birds, such as the uh, the, the yellowhammer I mentioned earlier, skylarks, um, bunting species, they, they depend very much on this winter stubble, uh, as do rodents and um, things like wood mice, which um, which you, you get in, in, in many areas. They're important food for birds of prey. Birds like barn owls that then go on to control rodents at other times of year around farmland. So if those, if those owls and other birds of prey can't survive over the course of the winter, they will leave the area and then there'll be no natural controls over rodents during the summer and then more and during during uh, harvest time and therefore more pesticides need to be used and it's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. It, it goes around like this. So we need to do more to, to safeguard our environment. The current uh, proposals by um, by the Department of Agriculture and by the state to um, require for tillage farmers reduce winter stubble by 85 to 90% on arable land, that'll be a catastrophe for so many farmland birds. And again, this has to change. Um, 
in some ways, it's a lack of joined up thinking. Um, this is an attempt to try and reduce pollution into 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 waterways by by nitrates, um, essentially from from fertilizers uh, and also from um, from things like uh, like like slurry and so on. Um, and uh, that's that's a very laudable aim. But there are other more effective ways to do that rather than just taking the simple option of trying to remove the winter stubble and therefore affecting all these birds. It, it's going to lead to a net loss in biodiversity, not a gain, which is completely contrary to the the whole principle of the of the the concept in the first place. Keep on doing what you're doing. I'll finish by saying today because our feathered friends owe you so much gratitude. But what you say makes such eminent sense. And I do hope that the words fall on the desks and into the ears of people who will listen and make a difference and take on board what you're saying. Thank you again for joining me. Always love your company, Niall. Uh, Likewise. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Not at all. Take care. That's Niall Hatch there from Birdwatch Ireland. I am a member. I encourage you to become a member. You get these regular updates uh, electronically, a lovely uh, book sent out periodically to you, and you're helping as well support a wonderful organisation, Batting for Our Feathered Friends. Where would we be without them if they weren't in the garden? I simply love the bird life that comes in around my garden and that I see in the countryside. Well, 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 there are more ferry users than I would have actually thought. Listen to this, Jerry. I can buy a sail rail ticket at Drogheda Railway Station get the 8am sailing to Hollyhead, a train to the centre of London and arrive there at 4 o'clock. That is some service, isn't it? To be in the centre of London, uh, getting an 8am sailing from this side in Ireland. Thank you indeed for that message. Keep them coming to me, 086-1800-658. Now, you know on Love Island, if you watch Love Island, they get a little alert when they get a text message and it instructs them what to do. Well, hold on a second, hold on. Yes, it's an alert on late lunch this afternoon. I have a letter and I want to read it to you because it is so interesting. Have a listen to this. It says, Dear Jerry, after a number of days mulling this over in my mind, I've decided... I just got to tell someone about something that's been bugging me since the Eagles concert at the Aviva Stadium recently. And I'm going to tell it to you, Jerry. Thanks a million. You see, I love the Eagles, have been a big fan since they came on the scene many moons ago, and I've been to see them on a number of occasions in concert. So off I head to Dublin last Friday week on my Todd with my 200 euro ticket, which gave me a great view of the stage from a fantastic seat. What an experience I had, but for all the wrong reasons. Firstly, not far from where I was seated, a couple who became really boisterous in the early stages of the concert had to be removed by security staff. What a rumpus they caused. And Jerry, let me tell you, these were no children. In fact, they probably have grandchildren. It gets worse. As seated right next to me were another, let's say, mature couple who warned me and others close by that they couldn't be responsible for their actions once the music started. And boy, did they live up to the warning. Up on their feet, roaring in B-flat, falling on top of myself and others, it was mayhem. I did ask the gentleman to refrain from constant physical contact, to which he immediately threatened me with violence. I couldn't believe it. I endured a torrid time and I regret that I didn't either call the stewards to intervene or actually leave. Jerry, it was a shocking experience and one that really would put me off going to a concert ever again. Am I alone in what happened? Is this an isolated incident? Perhaps you might read this on your show and see if anyone else has a similar experience. P.S. I've no doubt alcohol and perhaps something else contributed to this couple's outlandish behaviour. I do really enjoy your show. Signed, Kate. What about that? Came into me today in the post. The Eagles. You wouldn't think it at the Eagles, would you? A reserved crowd of an age. People removed by security. That behaviour. 200 euros she paid for the ticket for one of the best seats in the house. And the night is ruined. Did you ever experience anything like that at a concert recently? They're back on this last while after the pandemic, or perhaps before it. Can you empathise with Kate? Or is it a rarity that something like this happens? I'd love to hear from you if anyone has anything to say about that. 
086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp or text number. Or you can call in on 041-983-2000. Karen will take your call there. 086-1800-658. Concert ruined an experience like that. What do you think? I could tell you a story or two as well. I could indeed, and I just might. But I'd love to hear from you first. Kate, we feel your pain. But just for you on late lunch today, here they are. Enjoy. It's the Eagles. Sit back this afternoon, Kate, and do take it easy. I'm sorry for your troubles. I honestly, honestly am. We spoke yesterday on Late Lunch to Katrina Redmond about savvy shopping and where you can get best value and look, she was simply brilliant, a mine of information. But you know, with rising food prices, that's what people are looking to do, to stretch the euro. And it's not easy. It's not easy when you have a family and so many mouths to feed. But on the other hand, I will repeat the old saying, we are what we eat. And that's really the uh, subject we're going to talk about for the next while in the company of Dr. Kate McCann, who's back with us. Hello, Kate. Hi, how are you? I'm really good. And I know you've been posting on social media about various Mm -hmm. aspects of diet and food over a number of weeks now going back. But look, Kate, uh, let's talk about this in a practical sense for a moment. Put yourself in the shoes of a mum or a dad or whoever in a household Mm -hmm. who has to go and do the shopping each week, has limited euros to spend. They're Mm -hmm. looking for the best value they can. Yeah. What do you say to that? Is is it is it important not to completely compromise and spend little on food? Yeah. See, this is this is something that I'm talking about because there aren't necessarily there's no easy answers to this. But the the phenomenon is actually called hidden hunger, and hidden hunger is when the budget pressures um, change what we're putting in that shopping basket. So we're able to find deals on food. But those deals tend to be on the more processed foods, not on fruits and vegetables, um, higher in fat, higher in sugar. Well, so we get into something called hidden hunger, and that's where the bellies are full. Mm. But we're losing out on those things we need, the vitamin A, the vitamin D, the, the fiber, and the iron content of what we're eating is going down. And that phenomenon is called hidden hunger. Um, and that's and that's that that link that as as when there when we're under economic pressure, families who are struggling the nutritional content in that basket um, starts to go down. So what what is the answer or is there an answer to this? The, uh, there's no there's no easy answer to it. I mean, the one thing is just to, to make an awareness. I mean, you know, again, being a savvy shopper isn't just about getting the best value, which we, oft, we absolutely want people to do that as well. Mm. But it's 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 going to take a little bit of being more creative. For example, rather than going to the counter and getting the getting the mints that's you know dated today that will be cheaper, you're going to get mints with a higher fat content that'll be cheaper. The better option might be to go get a bag of red lentils and use that to substitute in and stretch the meat. And it's, got, it's going to give you iron, it's going to give you fiber, and it's going to be cheaper. So um, it's going to reduce the fat. So there are means and ways of actually uh, eating nutritiously and yeah. well uh, without breaking the bank. That's what you're saying. You, you can do this. You can do this. The flip side is, is that when we're all under pressure, that can be even harder because it takes, you know, if you're not used to, if you've always made your, your spag bowl or your or your shepherd's pie or your lasagna the same way mm. and you're a busy mom, you just you just want to keep making it the same way, that recipe, you know, if you have to start substituting, um, that takes, you, you've got to put extra effort in, you know, look up a recipe, do some extra measuring, make those changes. So even though it can be done, it's asking a lot. I mean, there's, this is what I say. There's no when I when I talk to patients, there's absolutely no way I'm ever going to tell anybody that there are any easy or simple react, simple solutions to this. It's more just the best we can do is bring awareness into that. You know, if you are making your shopping list, which you know, even I'd encourage everyone should always make a shopping list. That's a good way to stick to your nutritional meal plan. It does it does help the budget. When you're making that list, is is finding out where you can maximize that nutrition. 
Yes. No, no. I'm looking at the new, um, uh, what you call it here, the new uh, food pyramid, which you'd be familiar with. Uh, they've rejigged it in Ireland in the last couple of, of years as well. And of course, at the top of the pyramid, you have the foods and drinks high in fat, sugar and salt, going down mm-hmm. to the bottom to the vegetable, salad and fruit, which yeah. you've mentioned already. Now, yeah. talk to me ab- uh, about this pyramid. Uh, and, and of course, it, it changes as we go through life. I'll get onto that in a moment. Are, yeah. are you a fan of this? Do, do you believe in, in the different areas that we have should have so many portions of these and less of the other? Yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of the food pyramid. And it's a lot of a lot of people who are in different areas of nutrition, including registered dietitians, not all of them would be a fan of the food pyramid as a model. Though It's useful, though, if you, you know, it, it's useful for, you know, as a starting point, um, you know, what we should have more of, what we should have less of. Um, but, you know, we're always going to say, more fruit, more fruit, more veg. Mm. Um, as as a rule, very few people are getting their their enough veg in their diet. I mean, there's obviously people out there who are really good eaters, but I mean, as a statistical across society, we, we don't get enough of our whole grains. We don't get enough of our vegetables. So, um, you know, we we a lot of times, um, dietitians I work with will actually talk about using a plate model of of breaking your plate plate into quarters, and you know, half your plate being you know, kind of, kind of the, the, the vegetables. Okay. So, so half, if, if, let's talk about that because that's a good, I can picture that in my mind's eye. So if you look at your plate, half your plate should be vegetables for, uh, at your main meal. I, I would say that's a, that, that's, that's just a, a very kind of crude rule, yes. but that, that's a way to think of it. Um, because, because a lot of times um, we are, we culturally often think of a, of a meat first, yes. um, you know, the big chunk of meat making up the big, the big thing on our plate. Um, and that's not necessarily where we need our nutrition. I mean, meat is a source of iron. Um, it is a source of protein. But, but you know, oftentimes we are, it's it's more than we need, especially fat and calorie wise. Um, and all the other things we need, all those micronutrients and all that fiber, that's really comes from the, from the plant part of it. We really need more of those veg on the plate um, compared to the meat. And when we're looking at this from a budget point of view, meat is often the, mo- uh, the most expensive on that. Mm. But, but that said, fruits and vegetables, if we're going fresh, that can be an incredible cost. Yes. But but roughly half, then your portion of meat. How do you stand on that one, meat, chicken and fish? Are, are you a, a, a fan of having that each day included on your plate, one of those? Not. No, I, I, I'm not. So if you're if you're one of my patients, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, we call it plant based. So plant forward. Okay. Um, definitely. You know, it, meat should be a minimal part of the diet. Um, and, and that's mostly because it takes up for a lot of reasons, but it, it, especially if we're looking after heart, your heart health, we're talking about cholesterol, talking about lipids. Um, you know, we, we were, we're better off using those calories and using that space on our plate for whole grain, um, for whole grains, for fiber uh, and for plants, which are rich in all the micronutrients that we need. So uh, smaller portions of uh, red meat, of fish and chicken, you say. And when you talk about those whole meal, whole grains, what are you talking about there? What what are you, what are you putting on the plate? Potatoes? Well, this this is where we're talking about the budget. This is where this is where it really becomes a, a, a problem. So we know that the Irish diet as a whole is, is does most of us don't get enough fiber. Mm. Um, and so we need that whole grain bread. We need that whole grain pasta. We need that. That, that brown rice that comes with the fiber. Mm. And yet that on average, that's more expensive. Yes. So if you're gonna buy, go in for the rice or the pasta, which is the mainstay of filling out a meal for a lot of people, and it's half the cost to get the refined ones with no fiber. Mm. It's twice as expensive to get that whole grain and whole meal. And this is that's one of the first places that, um, that, that a, a constrained budget hits is right into the grains and carbohydrates portion of the meal. Which you know the carbohydrates are important as an energy source. Yes. So so is it then really? Uh, it speaks to government to say that really it, it, you know the health of the nation is dictated in a fair uh, amount by your belly and and what you consume and what you eat. Wouldn't it be better to put some resources into making uh, those foods uh, less expensive? Yeah, it's, and it's very tricky. I mean, there used to be a saying that, you know, that health is your wealth. And I think that was said by a rich man who got sick because it's really the opposite. Wealth is your health. So we know that, that you know, that if, if, you ha- if you're eating well and you have good nutrition, it's one of the three main reasons that, you know, wealthier nations have 
for example, live longer on average than, than less wealthy nations. And then we know that nutrition is a cornerstone of that. Mm. So, it- yeah, but it's, it's, it's tricky because a lot of times across the world, um, you know, it, it gets it, it gets very, very tricky to have a quick answer to this because when we talk about um, food security, we want people to have easy access to food. Mm. Um, we want to be good quality food and we want them to have choices and preference when they're selecting that food. Yes. Um, yeah. That's what we would call food security is when you have affordable, easy, secure access to food with choice. Yes. Not just, yes. you know, whatever subsidized because subsidized food usually ends up being impacted by everything from lobbies to um, to ending up being what's cheaper to go with. As I speak to you, I'm I'm thinking as well of life and and a child, you know, as a child grows up at home and then they go into their teens and 20s and they have their own, uh, they make their own decision making at at that stage. But like they may find themselves in a home where, you know, uh, the food put on the plate is not the best. And, you know, I know everybody does the best and, you know, it, it may lead to uh, difficulties with health fairly soon in their lives. I want to ask you yes. about this. Um, mm. Can you claw back damage done in early years as you move on into your teens, 20s and beyond? You always can. You can always, I guess, I'll use your phrase, claw back damage. You can always improve your health. You can always, you can help. You can always make those changes. And for children, absolutely, we want to support and intervene as early as possible. Chil- we, you know, when you're looking at people most vulnerable to poor nutrition, children are top of that list. Pregnant women are top of that list and, and often uh, and often the elderly. Now, there'll be mm. other people in that group as well, but we're looking at huge populations. Those, those are the ones we often look at as being the most at risk of that micronutrient, so that hidden hunger. So it, we often think about malnutrition in a child of that of that old fit picture of a, of a very skinny child with gaunt looks and sunken eyes. And yet today, a malnourished child actually will look will not look underweight and a malnourished child may may look as a, a be, have a, a be a normal weight they may mm. look even slightly overweight because they it's that what they're lacking isn't necessarily energy or calories what they're lacking is those micronutrients the fiber the iron the vitamin a the vitamin d okay so uh, looks alone ca- can deceive and then as you say at the other end uh, as we age and at the other end of, of the age scale there are challenges mm. there um where, where do you see, you know, uh, the subtle differences between uh, nutrition at a young age and a more senior age? Uh, what changes in terms of what we should be consuming or does much change? Um, not a whole lot. And I think that's kind of that. that that's that, that. I mean, you could write a book on that. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, and also as we age and as we change, we also may develop um, particular health needs. Mm. So, I mean, within the context of and um, you know what a, what a child needs at five what a child need, and what a person needs at 85 are going to be slightly different but the, the same rules of uh, the same rules apply we do need good fiber we need energy we need iron we need uh, we need a good daily supply of of, of vegetables and, and fruits um you know and we need a we need a really good healthy diet at all at all stages of life but you advocate coming back to this again uh, a plant dominant and whole food uh, diet what about supplementation if we do as you say and buy best we can in food and uh, put the best on the table ultimately should you need supplementation you shouldn't no i i, I my thing would be is if you're doing the family budget the first thing to go would be any kind of uh, of supplement you know of of of, of of a protein shake or a or um, extra this or extra that, and unless you've been prescribed one by a doctor, um, or you're in a recommended age group, for example, to have vitamin D supplementation. But as a rule, you're better off spending that money on on food than on um, than mm. on shakes or powders. What about the trend in fasting now? You've heard about it, I'm sure, a lot where, you know, people eat their last meal, which I tried to do at times, you know, around about seven o'clock in the evening at the latest. And I mightn't have breakfast till nine the next morning. And they say the longer you can stretch that, the better. How, where do you stand on that? The intermittent fasting. Yeah. I think if you're otherwise in good health and, you know, you're getting and you're eating well and you want to try intermittent fasting, I think it is a bit of a fad. It depends on who's doing it and why they're doing it. 
Um, some people have reported that you know they're in really good health. It's if they want to get even healthier, and they think it's they think it's helping them. They they feel like it's improving. They feel kind of sharper mentally, or they feel like they've got more energy. Um, and I think that's fine. I I I think it can become unhealthy if it's being used for weight loss. Um, it can you know it can develop into unhealthy eating habits. So I think if you're going to do intermittent fasting, it should be really supported by someone like a registered dietitian. If you're going to go down intermittent fasting for for example for weight loss, I wouldn't be a huge fan of that. Um, so I guess if you're going to do intermittent fasting, it depends on what your your goals of health are, and then you know, or, you know, why you're doing it and how long you're going to do it. And, you know, what you're eating when you do um, and in between the fasting, what are you eating? Yeah. And and as you say, that should be done in consultation with a professional. Just before we finish the message mm-hmm. today, I've learned new terms with you today. Hidden hunger. Uh, wealth is your health. I've never seen it reversed like that before. You really have set me thinking now, Kate, and I'm sure our listeners as well. Um, but the message today you want to get across, the correlation between good food, nutrition and good health, it, it's mm. really well established. Yes, yes. End of. Simple as that. And that is the bottom line, even though there are many challenges for people today with yeah. the cost of uh, going out shopping. Listen, it's always great to talk to you. Much food for thought there. Sorry for the pun. Uh, but uh, we'll see you next month, please, God. Thanks so much, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Dr. Kate McCann there. And plenty Upon. Such an interesting man is Niall Hatch, Jerry. He is indeed. Uh, thanks for that message. I love uh, talking to him. Uh, another one here from a listener. With the ash dieback, I was listening to Niall talking to you there, Jerry. Uh, when we have to knock them, we should be replacing each one with another native tree close to where uh, the one that is taken down to protect wildlife. That's a very good point and uh, you would hope that that would happen and multiple new trees would be planted. Coming up on Late Lunch After 3, I go back to uh, Kate Bush with a classic song from my Artist of the Week this week and The Missing Teddy as well. That's coming up on Late Lunch After News. Weather and sport at three, but taking us there, yes, you have great hearts. I know that. I know that sitting in this seat every day that Late Lunch listeners have fantastic hearts. You do indeed. Thank you. It's Fergal Sharkey and a classic taking us up to the top of the hour. Stay with us in your Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I suppose it could be true All about love You really would have to laugh at the pantomime that's going on in the British Parliament and at number 10 Downing Street, wouldn't you? You'd just have to laugh at it because there was a time, you see, in British politics when there was honour and if there was a whiff or a stink of anything uh, untoward, they fell on their sword. But they've sort of adopted the Irish method of hanging on now at all costs and, and, and staying there because we weren't like that in this country and, you know, we're probably still not. But uh, you'd expect Britain, you know what I mean, to be above this and to be leading the way in the world. Not anymore, for sure. 27 members gone between cabinet members. <laughs> he'll be flying the plane <laughs> solo shortly. I guarantee you he'll be gone very soon and he can say and bluster any way he likes. He'll be out the door at this stage. Should have happened a long time ago. But there you go. Watch this space. It's so entertaining. It's almost as good as Wimbledon at the moment and the tennis it's been simply uh, terrific now uh, I read a letter that I got in from Kate earlier on about her experience at the Eagles concert Josephine's been on to be to say don't get me started Jerry, about ignorant inconsiderate people at concerts I've had my fill of them before and since the pandemic um, standing up in seated areas is so annoying and happens all of the time I can tell you watching Glastonbury recently from my seat my own seat in front of the TV well it may be my last concert that I'll go to following the experience I had most recently thank you indeed for getting in touch with us on the show I do appreciate it Dundalk Stadium the big day is next Tuesday the 12th of July joint uh, horse racing and greyhounds and of course ladies day as well well I have four tickets to give away today to one person listening to late lunch my question was this the 350 yard track record at Dundalk uh, was or is was uh, set on the 15th of November 2019 by Blame the Game was it 16.46 seconds 17.46 or 18.46 seconds It was 18.46 seconds. Is the record. What a terrific time. 
Aoife McGinn, you got it right, along with lots of other people. You're very good on the uh, Greyhound Racing timing records. Uh, Aoife McGinn, those four tickets are yours. You're going along to the big day and you're in the hat on Friday. You could be upgraded to that VIP package, a meal for four at the View Restaurant, the beautiful View Restaurant in Dundalk Stadium. Good luck to you. Uh, Your name's going into the hat Friday and I'll have more tickets to give away tomorrow and Friday and then all five names go in for the draw on Friday afternoon here on Late Lunch. Now, my artist of the week this week is in the news because she's uh, back at number one in the charts. Well, she was last week and the week before. Didn't just check them this week. Yes, Kate Bush it is. And... Wuthering Heights, she'll always be associated with it. And when I think of Wuthering Heights, I think of the first time I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, I heard the song and then the video. And similar with this, with Wuthering Heights, her voice and the video. Well, it comes from her debut album again and it became a smash hit, spending four weeks at number one in on the UK singles chart and making top spot in many other countries uh, around the world. It was an international success. And she wrote it when she was only 18 years of age, uh, in one sitting, on the 5th of March. I can tell you the day she wrote it, the 5th of March, 1977, after she watched a BBC adaptation of Emily Bronte's classic 1847 novel. And she did it as quick as that, yes. Indeed, the music video I come back to, which accompanied the song... Uh, is regarded as a milestone as it predates, of course, the MTV era. And did you know, I I mentioned video, but it should be in the plural, videos, because there were two videos shot, one indoors where she wore the beautiful white dress and another one in the outdoors to reflect the moors in the song and that brilliant red dress that she wore then. In fact, there are festivals every year dedicated to the red dress alone. Critically acclaimed then, a seminal work today, tomorrow and forever. Here it is, the unforgettable Wuthering Heights. Kate Bush and Wuthering Heights, my artist of the week, and you'd have to say her definitive song. Oh, she has more great ones, and I intend playing a couple before the end of the week for you and tell you more about the wonderful lady herself, who has huge Irish connections. Remember, her mother came from Wexford in County, County Wexford here in Ireland. Final break of the day, and when we come back, we have just for you, Burke's Banter. So Teddy went on a cruise this summer. To be honest, this came as a surprise, as we took it for granted he would be holidaying with the rest of the family, as usual. However, when we started to unpack in the hotel, the switch became clear. We had someone else's case, and they had Teddy. They also had the eldest child's holiday money, and his Star Wars wallet, two tablets, and some jewellery. In the cold clinical light of a claims form, receipts could be secured for most things. But Teddy... He was priceless. A plan was hatched. From the sun lounger, which doubled as an operations room, a social media appeal was launched for Teddy's safe return. I contemplated ringing Joe Duffy. As days went by, more and more people shared our post. In Cyberland, Teddy was a wanted man. In our world, he was just very missed. A week in and we had expanded the search area. Airport ground staff. Baggage handlers, shifty-looking toddlers who looked like they had something to hide. Everyone was asked the same question. 
Do you have Teddy? As the weather app on our phones indicated the temperatures were rising, the tense heat increased inside the Burke's command centre as well. Every morning, following a fleeting and pleasing first thought of woohoo, we're on holiday, the now familiar ice-cold shiver of unfinished business would return. Blinking our eyes open to this limbo land of unanswered questions, the first croaky greeting of the day to each other would be, any news? Then Thomas rang. Mr Burke answered. Are you missing a teddy? asked Thomas. Are you missing plimsolls, a towel and some t-shirts? inquired Mr Burke. Affirmative to both questions. A meeting point was arranged. Candles were lit and prayers were said to help this exchange go well. With the aid of Google Maps, information offices and the determination only a loving father can muster in 35 degrees, Mr Burke set off. It was a journey matched only by Homer's odyssey in its importance and ambition. There were many uncertainties to consider. Did Mr Burke have enough change to last him all nine bus journeys he had to take? Would his new book on Dublin gangland criminals last him the full five hours of his quest? And most importantly, would Teddy want to come home? What wonders or trauma had he been through? He was only six. Would he still be the same Teddy? He had been cruising, if you don't mind. In the mix-up at the airport... Teddy had ended up spending the week sailing around the Mediterranean. Marseille, Malta, Nice, Florence and Venice. Fair play to him. It seems when faced with the usual Spanish jaunt with his nearest and dearest, he literally decided to jump ship and see the world. While we worried and fretted about his well-being and innocence, he was sipping Bellinis, taking in the Serenissima. So I know what you're thinking. Has he changed? It's hard to say, like parents who have just welcomed their eldest back from the first summer at the Gwaeltacht. We aren't foolish enough to think that things didn't happen. We just prefer not to think about it. He has a bit of a fuzzy swagger about him that he didn't have before. And there's definitely the hint of condescension in his glass eyes when we talk about going up to the playground. Just nothing yet you could put your finger on. The only thing we know for definite is newly returned Teddy, might have a few notions. But the youngest Burke has never been happier. Happy she has Teddy back, but in years to come, I think she'll also look back on this adventure. Happy in the certainty, she also has the best dad in the world. Me and my teddy bear have no worries, have no Yes, thank you, Sinead Bark. Brilliant as usual. Coming up at late lunch tomorrow afternoon, self-made millionaire Dinny Collins. We hear from a master chocolatier on World Chocolate Day and mental health in our farming community. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Thank you to Brian Farley, who guided me safely through the last couple of hours. We'll see you for Thursday's show at 1.30, but leave you in the company of the brilliant weekend. Two shows to go till the weekend and late lunch, Thursday, Friday. You join us, please do. Bye. I've been trying to call. I've been on my own for long enough. Maybe you can show me how to love. Maybe. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure Panel and a choice of... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Petrol, diesel, or fully electric. The new Opel Mokka is less normal, more Mokka. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.